0: For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God, who through faith. Let me start over. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized in the Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek. There's neither slave nor free. There is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent first his Son. Born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you're sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you're no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. Thank you very much. You can keep your Bibles open there. We're going to be there for the majority of... Of the morning. But I do want to read that first couple, the first couple sentences to you once more as we start. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. I'd like to start by talking about adoption. You see, I have not adopted any children yet, but I've heard from many of the difficult process. I have people who have adopted. I have friends who have adopted children. I know people in this church who have adopted children. And the adoption process is very difficult, not just on a financial level, though. And some of you know what I'm talking about. You see, some of you in this very fellowship have been through this. And what you've seen is that it's not always the system or the government which makes it hard or the money the financial issues which makes adoption hard now all these things are very hard and a an extremely hard part of the adoption process i've heard many people talk about how it's crazy how expensive it is to adopt a child when there's so many children out there needing a parent needing a father needing a mother needing a home but you see sometimes the hardest thing or the most difficult thing about the adoption process isn't the money, isn't the financial issues or the government or how hard the system makes it, but it's how other people speak of adoption. You see, so often when people notice that your kids maybe don't look like you, especially if you've adopted a child uh, from another country, the first comment ends up being, wow, is it hard having a child who's not yours? Is it hard having a child that doesn't look like you? Is it hard having a child who isn't your biological child? Do you love them any differently because they're not yours? And I can tell you without a doubt, every single person I've ever talked to who's been through this adoption process, there's one thing they say. In fact, there's one thing that they say they wish they could just yell and scream at you. And that is this. They want to yell and scream and tell you they are mine. They are all mine. They are my children. I don't care what their nationality is, is, what their race is, what their color is, if they're male, if they're female, whatever it is, they are mine. They're my child. Now that doesn't mean that, that doesn't mean that their heritage is not important. It is important. But if I was to adopt a child tomorrow, that child takes on my last name, Rhodes. That child is now my son, and I'm that child's father or daughter. My, my son or daughter. But the fact remains, that child is mine. Sometimes I think why we get this whole process mixed up is because we don't have a proper understanding of adoption when it comes to God. You see, we are sons of God. If you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior, if through faith you know Christ, you're sons of God. And if we have a proper understanding of what that means have our Father God... God is our adoptive father. And we have a proper understanding of knowing what it means to be a son of God. We can apply those very principles to our human being life as well. Here's the thing. We are redeemed through an adoptive father who loves us and calls us his own. We are his and he is ours. Which brings me to number one. Our point number one is this. Through our faith in Jesus, we now have an identity which is found not in yourself, but in Him. Your past doesn't matter. Now, it's good to remember your past. It's good to know where you came from. It's good to know your heritage. But you also need to see who you now belong to. You need to see what He does for you. We are sons of God. He is our Father. As it says in Galatians 3.26, For in Christ Jesus... You are all sons of God through faith. You see, God is no longer a judge who through the law has condemned and imprisoned us. God is no longer a tutor or guardian who through the law restrains and chastises us. God is now our Father, who in Christ Jesus has accepted and forgiven us. We no longer fear Him, dreading the punishment that we deserve. We love Him with a deep devotion. That doesn't mean that he's still not judge or that he's still not, not up there watching us and, and looking what we're doing. And we should be trying to please him with our life and obeying his commands, obeying his laws. But it's not the main focus. The main focus is Christ. Through our faith in Jesus, we now have an identity which is found not in yourself, but in him. We are no longer prisoners awaiting the final execution of our sentence nor children, minors, under the restraint of a tutor, but we are sons and heirs of his glorious kingdom. Let me say that again. We are not prisoners anymore awaiting our final execution. We are now sons of God. We are heirs of a glorious future of hope and of his kingdom. This should change your life. Do you ever think of your life as being changed, though? Here's the thing. We need to stop acting like we're not good enough anymore. We need to stop allowing our past to control our future. Stop allowing our past to control your tomorrow. We need to stop acting like we are orphans who have no one to call their father, nowhere to call our home, or no one to say they provide for them. Because we're not orphans. We're sons of God. God is our Father, and with Him, we have a home. With Him... We have somebody who provides. With him we have a future, and with him we have hope. So we need to not just look at ourselves, but we need to realize we're not alone. And we need to look to our Heavenly Father. You once were alone, separated from God by our sins. But now through Jesus in faith, we have a new identity. You've been accepted, and you are part of his family. You're children of God, children of a king. As I said that this morning, I was thinking about some of these movies and TV shows where I like just maybe think back to Lord of the Rings. That was a while back, but thinking about somebody who's the son of a king. And at some point in their life, they they have to recognize who they are. They have to recognize the power of that name. They have to recognize who they're going to become and where their destiny lies. We are children of a king with a amazing plan in front of us, a destiny which goes beyond us, beyond anything we could ever do because our king is also the Lord God Almighty. Our king is also the creator. We are children of the Lord God Almighty, children of the creator of the universe, children of a savior. We have a loving and perfect father who blesses us beyond anything we can imagine. And although we once were lost, we have been found. We have been adopted. I think of many times, while I'm writing this, I was thinking many times of my earthly father. And I love my dad. I hope all of us love our dads. They're flawed individuals. I think of many times that, that I called my dad for help, and I still call my dad for help every once in a while now, but more so when I was in Ohio and I had a plumbing problem. Who do you first call? Dad, I need your help. I've got a leaky faucet. What do I do? Dad, I need your help. I've got this wrong or that wrong and you know what my dad was always there for me to come over but you know I said how my dad is a flawed individual oftentimes and sometimes he would help fix the problem but oftentimes he'd end up making the problem cost twice as much as what it could have been without him but you know what I do the same thing we all do because we're all flawed individuals but when we look to our heavenly father we need to realize that he is different Our Heavenly Father is not flawed. Our Heavenly Father is perfect in all things. And this is your Father who you can look out up to. This is your Father who you can cry out to. And this Father, He wanted you. He didn't didn't come and adopt you out of obligation. He didn't come and adopt you because somebody just convinced Him to do so. He didn't come and adopt you because you had done enough good deeds or earned your way To his love. No. By all means, we don't deserve it at all. He came and adopted us because he wanted to. And it was not an easy task. It was perfectly planned. Perfectly executed. Everything down to the last dot of the I and crossing of the T was planned out and executed. So that we could become sons of the great king. Sons of the Lord God Almighty. Children of the creator Children of God. We are or we can be redeemed sons of God. I say that because we need to think about something else. Are you truly sons of God? I don't want you to assume that everybody in here is. And I could say that. I mean, everybody in here is here at church on a very snowy day. And that's great to see you. You made it a point to be here. And I am excited to see you all here. A majority of you have your Bibles with you. Others, you would have brought your Bible if you knew that we didn't have one in front of you in the pews or I didn't put it on the projection screen. But just because you make it to church and just because you have your Bible with you does not mean you're a redeemed son of God. What makes that difference is being redeemed by the blood of Jesus. Surrendering your life to him and recognizing that you are a sinner in need of a savior. Are you a son of God? This Wednesday night at the Crisis Bible Study, we were talking a lot about our separation from God. But more importantly, how God is not separated from us if we are redeemed. We were talking about Isaiah 41.10, which says this. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. This one verse of many Of hundreds of verses in the Bible Which tells us of the hope we have Of being children of God How much anxiety, uncertainty, depression, anger Do we have built up inside of us Simply because we fail to remember God's promise We fail to remember that we're not alone And we try and do everything on our own When we're never meant to We're meant to remember that we are sons of God We're meant to remember that we are to fear not For he is with us Perhaps part of the reason we struggle with this concept is because we have a false understanding, a bad picture of who God is. We need to look to Scripture more, to God's Word more, to see that the characteristics of God as our Heavenly Father are not the same characteristics of our earthly Father who is flawed. Again, fathers, you are flawed. Mothers, you are flawed. Children, you are flawed. I am flawed. I recognize I am also flawed. I'm a flawed husband. I'm a flawed father. I'm a flawed man. Why? Because I live in a fallen world with sin, and I am a sinful human being. But the father we have to look up to, the savior we have to look to, is not flawed. So I hope that we recognize that when we look up to our father, when we cry out to our heavenly father, we're crying out to somebody who is not flawed. He is perfect in every single way, and we can cry out to him for help. In verse 6 of chapter 3, I'm sorry, 26, we read this, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. That means in good times and bad. Think about your earthly fathers and mothers again. They love you, and for the most part, they would never forsake you. They would never leave you. They'd always be there for you in good times and bad. Now, sometimes maybe you think, well, my dad didn't help me at this time or that time. Well, maybe he was trying to teach you a lesson. Maybe he was trying to help you figure things out on your own. Maybe he really wasn't there for you. Because like I said, we are flawed individuals. But our God, as our Heavenly Father, is not flawed. And he is always there for you. But are you a son of God? Because if you're a son of God, we should be acting differently. You see, we should not be acting like sons of Satan. We should be acting like sons of God. We shouldn't be acting like sons of the world. We should be acting like sons of God. That means we need to be watching how much we lose our temper. How much we lose our patience. How much we fail to show mercy to one another. How much we fail to forgive one another. How much we fail to show love to our neighbor. To not make sacrifices for one another. Our worst enemies included. Because these are the examples we have from God and we should look up to. God never loses his patience with us. He's always there to forgive us. God continues to show love for us and God continues to sacrifice his son for us. These are mostly all things that Satan loves to see us do, not God. Satan wants to see us lose our temper He wants to see us lose our patience. He wants to see us give up on people and say, they're just too bad, I can't forgive them. But God wants to see us constantly forgiving people and loving people just as he forgave us and died for us. So as sons of God, in faith, through our faith in Jesus, and through this new identity, we should be looking to him. And looking through our Heavenly Father as the example for how we should live. Let me move on here. Number two says this. In this new identity, we have an equal standing with all who come to God through faith. So number one, to kind of recap, is just this. We are sons of God. Number one was we are sons of God, the simplified version. But number two is this. In this new identity, we have an equal standing with all who come to God through faith. In Christ, we are all one. There is the simplified version. In Christ, we are united. There is another simplified version if you are taking notes. In Christ we are all one. In Christ we are united. We are sons of God but we're also members of the same family. That's why I can call all of you brothers and sisters in Christ. Are we acting like we're of the same family? Now, I don't want to be too harsh on all of you because I do love all of you and I, I see the love you give me and my family each and every single week and I do feel like I am part of your family. But when we look at the universal church and all believers, I could also say that we struggle to be part of the same family at times. Just like we struggle to act like sons of God and not sons of the world or sons of Satan. Now, I'm giving instruction for how we should live based off God's word, but I also understand that, again, what are we? We are flawed. So we're going to suffer. We're going to struggle. But that doesn't mean we should not always seek out our Heavenly Father, and look to His image for how we should be. We are sons of God, redeemed sons of God, and we are members of the same family. Through the grace of God and Christ, we are redeemed. When God looks down upon us, then, who does He see? Does He see white Caucasian, African American, Asian, Hispanic people? Does He see Jewish, Gentiles, Baptists, Catholics? Does He see pastors Bankers, lawyers, doctors, factory workers. Does he see state trooper, police officer, retired person? No. He sees sons. He sees children. He sees members of his household. People who are not of this world but have the hope of a future with him. God no longer looks down upon us and sees Jewish people and Gentiles who are separated from him due to the law or due to our backgrounds. But he sees one family. To him, we're not African-American, white, Caucasian, Asian, Hispanic, or anything else. We are simply his. And out of choice, we are his. He chose us. He loves us. And he wants a relationship with us as sons. But only by being redeemed by God. Only through Jesus do we have this new identity. Only through his blood. I wanted to bring up some eggs this morning, and I wanted to have a brown egg, a white egg, a blue egg. Some of you are farmers, you understand there's lots of colors of eggs out there, right? That's the most colors I could think of of eggs, because I'll tell you, the only eggs I've ever bought have been from like Walmart and Shattuck's and grocery stores, and all my eggs are white. That's kind of a failed image, though, a flawed image right there, because all eggs are not white, but here's the thing, you crack open those eggs, and put them in a frying pan, and they are all eggs. They're all the same, and that's what God sees us as. We are all His creation, we're all human beings, but He, stri- he, he, just, he desires to have so much more from us, though. You see, all human beings are ultimately His created sons and daughters, His children. But only some of us are His redeemed children. Brings us to the next point. We are all children of God, but only some of us are receiving our inheritance as heirs. So, again, number one, you are a son of God. Number two, we are all children of God and part of the same family. But number three, we are all children of God, but only some of us are receiving our inheritance. Only some of us are truly part of that family. Galatians 4 4 says, When the fullness of time came. And with this phrase, Paul brings together the idea of the coming of age and the coming of Jesus. Paul stresses that the life, death, and resurrection of Christ occurred according to the plan of God. All of God's children were part of this plan. Our salvation, our opportunity as such, was no accident. It was a plan. His adoption was very planned. Again, adoption is a very complicated thing. It's something that None of us can just walk into an adoption agency tomorrow and say, we're here to adopt a child, and maybe we think of it like going to the pound and picking out a dog. Here, I got my $50. Let me look at all the children and see who I can adopt. No, it's not that simple. It's complicated. You have to fill out the necessary paperwork. You have to have the necessary training. You have to do the necessary counseling. You have to go through the necessary meetings. You have to have the necessary funds and financial needs uh, to meet the financial needs of that child. You have to have the necessary job for the government to see that you're going to be able to continue to provide for this child. Adoption is not an easy thing. But God went through all the complicated stuff for us. Over thousands of years, he, he made everything right so that we could be his adopted sons and have In inheritance as an heir. It was at the right time. With the right price. And he had the right qualifications. But back to my point. I say only some are receiving their inheritance. Because God may be the father to all creatively. But he is only the father to some. Redemptively. Not everybody you walk by on the street is a redeemed son of God. But we should be striving To accomplish his great commission, his commandments, to go to all nations and use the power of his spirit. Use the power of his mighty word to be clear and concise and present the gospel to them. God may be the father to all creatively, but he is only the father to some redemptively. Redemptively. Only some have or will truly place their faith in him. Here's some scripture which I hate to share. It sounds dark, it sounds terrible, but we need to hear it. You see, apart from having a saving faith in Christ, all human beings are enemies of God. Romans 5.10 And children of wrath. Ephesians 2.3 Every unbeliever becomes or is a child of the devil. John 8.44 No one belongs to the Father that does not belong to the Son. And John 14, 6 says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father but through me. You see, we are only a redeemed son of God if we have come to the Father through Jesus Christ. If we are truly redeemed through him, then we are sons of God. And all of those things that we just talked about, the power of being a child of God, this new identity, this new DNA that we have, this new inheritance that we receive is only through Christ. Notice in verse 29 and other places where it continues to say, if you are in Christ, if you are in Christ, or notice how it continually specifies in faith, in Christ, because it's only in Christ, it's only through faith, it's only if you are Christ. And then on ver- in verse 27, again kind of going back here, It talks about those who have been baptized. You see, Paul here is not speaking of needing baptism for salvation. I would never say that you are not saved unless you have been baptized. But he uses it as an example that when we are baptized, we are being closed with Christ. We are new. We, in essence, symbolically are being buried with him as we go under that water. And then we raise up. All of our sins, our old self, washed away, and we are made new in his image. Representing his resurrection, his death, his burial, and his resurrection. That's what baptism shows us. We are closed with Christ. Now, here's the funny thing, though, too. Again, I do not believe Paul's indicating here that you must be baptized. Let me read this again. Because I do want to talk about this briefly. It says... For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. That can be a little bit deceiving. If you have been baptized with Christ, if you have been baptized, as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Why would he say such a thing? Here's why. And I've said this before. The early church had a different model for baptism than we do. You see, we are so afraid for it to look like we are only saved if we're baptized that so often we, we separate the two. We separate our salvation experience from baptism. We want to say, oh great, you're saved, you accepted the gospel, you've accepted Jesus, you've been redeemed. Great, now let's see you be a good disciple and let's get baptized two years from now. That's not how they did things back then. I firmly believe we shouldn't do that today either. You see, why Paul would relate the two is because this was how they were accepted into the church. This is how they professed, I am a believer in Christ Jesus, my Lord and Savior. We have these biblical illustrations, examples, was all over scripture of they accepted Christ. And they said, great, now that you're a believer, there's water. Let's be baptized now. It was... It was related, it was done together and that's why Paul relates these two things. That's why Paul says for as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. Ultimately, he's not saying that you need baptism to be saved but he's using that symbolically as an example. When we are baptized, we're washing the old way of life away and we are now saved by the grace of God and we are new. That's why a lot of A lot of times in the church, and I haven't done it here, Pastor Alden, I believe, did, you would have white robes to put on after the baptism to symbolically show that your sins have been washed away and you've been made white as snow. You've been made clean. I think it's a challenge to us today, really. If there's anybody in here who has not been baptized, but you are a believer, what are we waiting on? Because nowhere in scripture does it tell us we need to wait. I've got three individuals right now who are talking to me about baptism. I am just so excited because it's that step we take to profess, I am a believer in Christ Jesus. That's why why we say, why should we wait? We're excited to be a believer in Christ Jesus as our Lord and Savior, to follow after him, and that, that moment of baptism helps us solidify it helps us to be able to not only profess to everybody around us that this is who I am now. I have a new identity in him. I am a son of God, and I am redeemed. But it also shows not just other people, but it also helps us to solidify it within ourselves, to show ourselves we are not who we once were. We have been washed clean of our past, and we have a fresh start with God. Notice in verse 29 again, it says, if you are in Christ, if you are in faith, if you are in Christ, we must be in Christ to be a son of God. Let me move on here. I want to say just once more, only those in Christ receive his promises, because I hear it every day. In fact, I just heard it yesterday from somebody who made the comment, it was nobody in this church. nobody. Nobody at this fellowship. But they said, um, well, I don't know if I've done enough good deeds yet to get into heaven. It was something like that. It just, Oh, it throws my mind into a whirlwind because I just wish I could knock some sense into him and tell him it has nothing to do about your good deeds. You being a redeemed son of God has nothing to do with your good deeds. It has to do with the one deeds that Jesus did for you. Something else that we need to talk about. What are the promises of God? What is your inheritance as heirs to your Father in heaven? You see, the world, again, wants to try and throw some things at you called the prosperity gospel. Some have nicknamed it. That if you're a believer in Christ, all things are going to work together for your good. You're never going to have any pain. You're never going to have any injuries. You're going to be driving around a BMW. You're going to be a millionaire, whatever it is. What do you inherit? What is the promise? Is it a perfect life? No, not here. Is it lots of money? No, not here. But what good is that? We can't take it with us anyways. Is it the perfect job? Is it marriage? Is it children? Is it everything to always go right? No. You see, we're still always going to have these problems because we're living in a fallen world in a sinful being. But you have the promise... ...of eternal life with Him. You have the promise of having a Heavenly Father... ...who's always going to be there with you to help you. Through whatever you're going through, you are not alone. And you never will be. Through whatever you're going through, you don't have to rely only on your own strength... ...your own wisdom, your own peace, your own comfort. You don't have to rely on yourself. Because we can cry out to God as our Heavenly Father... You have the promise also of a helper of the Spirit of God and the gifts of the fruit of the Spirit to be able to help us through each day of our life. We have the promise of life with God. That's our inheritance, guys. Our inheritance as heirs of God, as children of God, is a life beyond ourselves and a life beyond this world, this fallen world. We have a life which we can openly, excitedly look, look forward to, of being in his presence day and night, of having a perfect new body and a new earth where no more tears will be there, no more sin, no more disease. We should no longer be acting as slaves of the world then, for we have come of age to accept our rightful place, our rightful name, and in our inheritance. So what should we do? If my remote was working, I would tell you, we should be joyful and celebrate, for you are sons of God. I shouldn't even say it that quietly. I should be like, we should be joyful and celebrate, for we are sons of God. You are a son of God. Be joyful and celebrate. But something else, maybe you're thinking all this time, Pastor Patrick, why do you keep calling me a son? I'm not a son, I'm female, I'm a girl, I'm a woman. Well, in this translation, the English Standard Version, a lot of the translations, they use the term son. But not all translations do. Maybe you have a different translation in front of you. Maybe it does say children. Maybe it says, maybe it says sons and daughters. A lot of the translations say sons, and here's why. I think the translations which say children or sons and daughters are just trying to help you understand who you are. But as, as it's saying, sons, we're talking about in Paul's day and age, again, looking at the context, sons would receive a rightful name, an inheritance. They would be considered heirs at a, at a certain age. Now, depending on, and it's, it's debated if we're talking about in Roman terms or in Greek terms or what we're looking at, that could be a different age. But we're talking about sons because we're talking about an inheritance. And not every son would receive an inheritance. Not every son would be considered a son until he reached a certain age. A lot of times the sons or the children would only be considered a son with those benefits when they received that age. Until they got to that age, they'd be like a slave in their household they wouldn't have any freedom, they wouldn't have any legal right, any any way of demanding, well, I am a son of so-and-so, so I demand these things, I should receive these things. They'd say, no, you have not reached your age yet. You are like children. And in this in this scripture, Paul is referring to some of these Galatians, it's like children because they're acting according to the old aid, old ways of the law instead of acting according to the grace of Jesus. If we are acting according to the grace of Jesus, or if we are in Christ, we are no longer acting like children without an inheritance. We're acting like sons of God who have reached the mature age as Christians to receive our inheritance, to know what we have, to know what we can claim. Remember who to cry out to then. i move forward for time here. Be joyful and celebrate for your sons of God and cry out, Abba, Father. Cry out to your dad. Cry out and realize the power that you have in those good times and bad. Remember to cry out and boast good times and bad to God because you are his sons. And in that we have power. And through our crying out to him, it also shows evidence of our sonship. We have evidence of our sonship through the presence of the spirit in our heart through the work of the Spirit in our life and the desires of the heart being directed towards God. We also have proof that we are God's children from the instinctual cry of the heart to cry out to Him. Have you noticed noticed that? I, I hope you have, that when you start to struggle, your first thing should be to cry out to God, God, help me. Lord, Father, please show me the way. If you never, ever, ever, ever think to cry out to God... If your first place to cry is to a family member, a friend, to a coworker, to Facebook, or social media... Then maybe you need to think if you are a son of God. Maybe you need to think, truly, do you have a right image of who God is? Let me give you some application here, the take-home. And by the take-home, I hope you realize we don't mean that you take it home and throw it away. We mean you take it home and you apply it to your life and you use it. Number one is this. Remember who your daddy is. You are a child of God. And with being called a son of God, we can celebrate that fact and we can know that with that new identity comes power. Because it means we are never alone. Number two, remember who your family is. In faith in Christ, we are all children of God. So, we should be uniting together as one and helping each other. We don't need to be doing it all on our own. Number three, be joyful and remember the promises you now have. You have been blessed by a promise and an inheritance. And number four, and I went through these kind of fast, so if you need these later, email me, I'll send you my notes. But number four is this cry out to the Father, cry out to Him. If someone was to record your response in every time of need, every struggle, if they were to have a microphone by your recorder every time that something good happened in your life, would they hear you crying out to your heavenly Father? Or would they hear you crying out to someone else? Would they hear you crying out something that glorifies God? Or would they hear you crying out something that maybe highly displeases God? We need to cry out to our Heavenly Father in both good times and bad. And number five, expand the family. We are all sons of God. You are a son of God. I am a son of God. We're all sons of God. We're all His children if we've been redeemed. But let's also look to expand the family. You see, the earthly human adoption process is often very long, challenging, and expensive. But when it comes to God's family, he's already done the complicated part. And he's simply told us, go out into all the world, go to all the nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. God wants us to go and expand his family with his help. God already went to the great lengths of doing all the complicated part. We just have one simple thing to do. Believe and spread the news to others so that they, too, can believe. Pastor Eldon Carlson was at our men's renewal breakfast yesterday and gave us a challenge with evangelism. And with that, we ended in separating into our small groups and just praying for God's word to be delivered to Bloomer. For God to send out harvesters to harvest the crop that needs to be harvested. He told us that we should pray a few things, and I know I'm missing one, but he basically said we should pray that God sends workers for the harvest, you included. Don't always pray for somebody else to be sent, but pray that God can use you. But as you pray for God to send workers to the harvest, we also need to pray that God helps us to be bold or helps them to be bold. We also need to pray that God allows them to speak clearly. I don't know about you, but sometimes that's my biggest fear is that I'm not going to know what to say. I I just get all nervous and my words get all mumbled around. I just don't know what to do. I don't know what to say. I I get scared. I start shaking. And then I just run away with my tail between my legs. Let's hope it's not really like that. But we need to be praying that God helps us to speak clearly and concisely. We also pray for God, His Spirit, and His Word to convict and change people's lives through a saving faith in Jesus so that they too can be redeemed sons of God. Plus nothing, grace alone saves us. And if there's one thing I want you to take away from today, it's this. If you remember nothing else today, remember this. Through faith in Christ, you too may be called sons of God. By his grace, you are redeemed. You are made new. By his grace, we are made new. You're sons of God, children of God. We all are sons of God. Let us pray. Lord God, we thank you for giving us an inheritance of your kingdom, of life eternal with you. For giving us a promise, the promise that you gave to Abraham of your son Jesus being the seed that would give all of us freedom, that would give all of us grace, that would give all of us salvation. We thank you for all of this. And Lord, we just ask today, we ask tomorrow, we ask every day that we would act like your children. We would look to you as the ultimate example of not an earthly father, but a heavenly father who is not flawed and shows us how we are to live. May we glorify and honor you in all we do as children of God. It's in your holy and powerful name we pray. Let's close with Jesus, all for Jesus. Let's stand. Jesus all for